hair's going bloody grey. I think you're sat in front of a window, aren't you? I think there was yeah. some f- reflection coming in. Good afternoon, good morning, good evening, good overnight. This is yet another oof, delicious episode of the Global Leadership Podcast with myself, Anthony Price. And me, Jonathan Bradley. And I'm rather looking forward to this one, actually, because it's about inspiring communications in mm. a way, isn't it? It's about... <laughs> Which uh, ironic if... is what we do is lack of inspiration on these things. <laughs> but, yeah. Oh, you're so modest. And, <laughs> um, but we're, we're going to... We're going to do, I, I, for, for those of you um, who understand what a town hall is, uh, I, I know now, but you know, there's a lot of people who perhaps don't quite know what uh, a town hall is. I mean, in England, we think a town hall is where you go and berate uh, your your local um, MPs and and go and do flower arranging and stuff like that. <laughs> but um, a, 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 a town hall uh, is uh, a, a, a method uh, of communication uh, by putting together a group of people in an organisation uh, to communicate a message, an update, a review. Uh, a, a future plan or, or whatever it is. These are done on a, on a reasonably regular basis in, in big and small organisations across the globe. And we thought it'd be useful to talk about the things that we've learnt uh, over the years about standing up and not making a complete horlicks of it uh, and doing a good job and, and ideally inspiring a few people along the way. How does that sound, Ant? Sounds very good to me. And um, we, um, I think, have give the impression of audiences when we do town halls or speeches that we are at the top of our game. The truth is we still have massive anxieties ourselves, and I think that's part of the, 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 the learnings that might come from today. Public speaking is not something that everybody naturally says, this is what I want to spend the rest of my life doing. But when you um, do it to an extent that you have some techniques in play that can help you, it sure as hell makes it more appealing than it would have been otherwise. So hopefully you'll get something from that today. Now, before we get into the nitty gritty, I must um, dedicate a moment to uh, thank my uh, podcast partner here um, for a gift that only arrived, by the way, bearing in mind that the podcast, last podcast was recorded on my birthday and we're now into February. Um, It's worth flagging that due to tragedies in the postal system that my first parcel apparently got smashed up in transit. Um, I imagine what happened was Parcel Force or any other delivery firm, but it was Parcel Force, uh, scooched up in my drive, heard us recording the podcast and then got so angry with it, they smashed up the bottles or whatever it was. Oh, it could have been. Yeah. So anyway, last Wednesday, randomly, uh, there's a knock on the door for a parcel for me and I had to sign for it. And I had to show ID because it was uh, for over 18s only. And I was like, A, has JB bought me some pornography? What a what a treat. <laughs> Happy birthday to me. And then I shook it and it was clearly very heavy porn if it was. Uh, opening it up, it was a delicious selection of wine. Um, and and also a note from the founder of the, the, the winery. Is that what they're called? Mm-hmm. Well, that will do. Fine. Uh, Apologising for the fact that, and even mentioning, J- I know JB wanted this to be here for your birthday, but, so it made me feel like he had hand, it was clearly on a machine, but it was it was handwritten by the guy that crushed the grapes with his own toes to make me feel loved. So thank you so much for my gift. 
I only remember drinking the first bottle because the other two haven't. I was going to say because we then off our face in bottle one, but the uh, other bottles are ready to be opened at the right point. So thank you. Which so one much. did you have? The the, the pink rosé? Yeah, the... the one you said that's particularly uh, pleasant. Did, did, what what was the what was the feeling about that? Very good. So the the wife and sister in law um, shared the the bottle with me. Um, we did lose it in one sitting, but it was very pleasant. Very um, not too. I would say almost a, a blush. Um, mm. a, a, an upmarket um, blush, if you will, not quite sweet rosé, but a good halfway house between a Sauvignon Blanc and a and a and a, and a pink pink wine. That, yeah. What What's quite interesting about I I wanted to give you something that was different, and uh, I thought, well, I'll get you some interesting wine, and all of those wines are English. They were very nice. You see? Yeah. They're English wines. And this is a very, very big growing area. Uh, and I think they expect that uh, the English wine category to grow by a billion pounds. Really? Over Yes, over the next 10 years. Wow. Uh, now, globally, that probably doesn't sound very much. But, you know, when you're in Kent and you're growing some wine, that's a pretty <laughs> big deal. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, the, the, the guy who, who supplied the wine is very excited about his business and uh so i wanted you to have a little a little sample in that little little pond well of wine. Uh, if if it is of help if i can send a review to him on a public forum i will do because it was certainly the first bottle was delish so thank you so much fantastic the, well the the, the, the the company is called cork dot uh, com by the way if you want to to go and get some wine from there and we're not we're not we're not doing any advertising are we we haven't taken any no. orders for advertising or no. product placement but anyway there you go cork cork.com everybody that's c-o-r-c.com and um thank you very much for that free case that's heading mine and jb's way cork well in fact it's 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 c-o-r-k-k oh yeah c-o-r-k-k cork.com there you go. Thank you. Now, uh, the other quick mention, I must apologise to a listener who we did a shout out for in the last episode. And I randomly had an instant message via LinkedIn, I think it was. Um, and um, they effectively said, um, uh, they sent me a random message on LinkedIn, which read, um, li- literally out the blue, actually, it's Ehab from the British Virgin Islands and not USA. So I got that randomly when I was doing in the middle of something random. <laughs> And I just sent a question mark back going, eh? And he went, on your podcast, you've just said Ehab from USA, but thank you so much for the shout out, but it was BVI. <laughs> um, uh. So actually you have more countries listening than just the USA because BVI wasn't on our list apparently. So Ehab, I please offer you my sincere apologies for, uh, I think maybe I maybe have clicked on your LinkedIn profile and just lifted it from a job or something maybe. Anyway, so Ehab from the British Virgin Islands, um, thank you for listening. Please do send me um, a, a acknowledgement of this correction, which I promised by reply, I said to him, there will be a correction feature in the next episode. That's brilliant. And that that only extends our reach even more. Yep. Where do we not get listened to? And I think we will be saying fairly soon. Yeah. But ironically, we'll never know because the listeners from those countries will never send us the, the answer. There you go. Yeah. There you go. Anyway, how is things your side? Anything exciting to report? I believe you were abroad last week. Yes, I had a phenomenal week in New York. Uh, I had a little bit of business there for a couple of days. Did my usual thing. Uh, told my wife I was going. She said, well, I'm coming too. Okay. Okay, darling. So off we went. 
and she had the most brilliant week of her life. Uh, and we went to see Chicago, the musical. Anyone who wants to go and see that show in New York, it is fantastic. It's absolutely brilliant. We went to the Blue Note Jazz Club uh, and saw the most brilliant jazz musician, a guy called Igor Butman, who I met after the show and had a really good chat. And I've even got photographs of me hugging him. Wow. Uh, in a delirious state. And, uh, oh, my God, he, he is brilliant, absolutely brilliant. I know that he's really bitter. For those of you who listen in Russia, uh, he is massive in your area, I think, isn't he? And uh, he, he goes to America. I think he's coming to the UK um, in June, I think. He's playing at Ronnie Scott's. Anyway, um, I, I'm not hugely into jazz, but this guy is very special. Anyway, so we did lots of that kind of stuff. Did you make any money from the fee based on you taking Christopher with you? Um, actually, uh, my credit card is now kaput. Uh, my credit card melted in New York. My wife cost me an absolute <laughs> fortune. Um, so but net, it was a, neutral? yeah, it was a bit, yeah, it was a bit of a, yes, actually the whole, yeah. it, 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 so it, but who cares, you know, I mean, it was just great. New York is the most wonderful place. Yeah. Uh, I had a great, great time in New York. Now, what about you? You haven't moved yet by the look of your room. Nope, nope, nope. Um, in fact, as we are recording today, I may receive yet another email because I'm agitating at my solicitor at the minute because we're threatening to pull out because of the buyer's solicitors being so incompetent. But I'll say no more on the subject. Um, but we should, in theory, either exchange or be back on the market on Friday because I've given them a deadline to Friday. Otherwise, we are pulling out. God, it's a stressful business, isn't it? I'm, I mean, I'm, it I'm, really I'm, is. that, I'm that annoying clink in the chain that is being yeah. the one that's saying, you follow my demands, I'm not following yours, sorry. Um, no surprise there. Yeah. Well, the, the, anyway, I'm not going to bore everybody with the detail, but let's let, when we next record, either we would have exchanged on the road to completion, um, but we are due to move in less than two weeks if we do exchange, because that's the only daytime in the UK for the next six weeks, effectively. <laughs> And that's the craziness. As you know, I was in Budapest last week. I'm flying off to Amsterdam um, today. I am then in Paris next week. I am then off moving house, ideally the week after. And then I'm away every week until Easter. So that is why I have to be demanding on these people. And we're going to start doing some international recordings again, I think, if we're not mistaken, with some wine. I think we are. Yeah, nice. I think we are. Yes, definitely. Yes. I guess we should get into the subject in hand then. Um, so town halls, uh, communicating as a leader, um, we thought was a deadly practical episode for your delectation. Um, because as a people leader, we believe, and JB, I'm sure in a second, we'll talk about some of the components in his mind that make up a, a successful leader. But ultimately, we believe that a key component of managing even the smallest groups of people is the ability to communicate and inspire and give people understanding of what you stand for and them to know you and actually what you're looking to do and achieve with them. Help them understand what is their why. Love it. Absolutely love it. And we meet an awful lot of people as we go round the world. And you, you first meet them and you think, wow, this guy's really confident or this lady's really got it, just nailed it and really great communication skills, blah, blah, blah. And then you put them up on a stage in front of a group of people and you watch Meltdown. 
absolute meltdown. We've had probably 250 people in front of you and I um, being taught how to do public speaking. And I can count on more than my hands and I think probably within my toes and hands. So within 20 digits, the number of people that I've had full on meltdowns, I think I've seen two or three panic attacks. I've seen many, many tears. Tears, loads of tears. But the irony is, by the way, the ones that are tearful and to the ones that are most panicked tend to be the most authentic of all of them. And in actual fact, there's been some quite moving ones where you and me have been nearly in tears. Um, and I can remember one in, in Hungary, ironically, when we were which I won't talk about specifically for fear of identifying the individual, but some people standing up are very much bearing their souls. So I totally get listening to this anxiety of being stood up in front of a group of people with nothing more than what comes out your mouth can be a hugely daunting task. Well, so I, I want to put my cards on the table. I have had a moment in front of an audience uh, earlier on in my career uh where i think it was about five four or five hundred people and i i had a presentation to do and i was a bit cocky i think uh, to be honest i thought i thought i was on top of my game and i didn't really do enough preparation and i wasn't wasn't really thinking about what those people were going to take away at the end of it in a proper way i just thought well you know i'm an industry leader i'm just going to tell them what they need to know and you know no doubt this is going to be so inspiring <laughs> and i and i got up there and i and i used um i used a triangle to present uh, three very important points and by the second point uh, my my body took over uh and got i got in a complete state i i felt that palpitation going on my hands were sweating uh and i i just went into an absolute blank I went into a freeze moment and I can't tell you how awful it was. It, it was the most shocking, scary thing. It took me months to get over it actually, but it, it taught me a damn good lesson. Um, you need to rethink the way you stand in front of a big audience um, and learn from people who really are bloody good at this. So I did. And uh, I, I, I think I've mentioned to the listeners before that, you know, I, I come from a radio background and so do you. And that helps mm -hmm. that you're surrounded by people who are excellent communicators. And so I took I took loads of advice. And and I since then doing this kind of work, uh, I've realized more. It's it's about what you want your audience to think, what you want them to feel and what you want them to do. And, and that's, that is always now my starting point. I, I want to leave that kind of impression on my audience. So narrowing it down into what the audience is actually going to take away from the communication that I give them. That, that, is, that is the first, the first filter for me, is, is really thinking about their minds what i'm actually going to put into their mind and and actually another focus for me building on that theme is what are they going to talk to other people about having seen the communication from me you know what are they what are they going to say george you know i think like this or i i feel like this or i'm going to do this as a result of that um so that's part one is is having that kind of focus and then the, the second part the second filter is I've got to make this thing damn inspiring. I don't want to just do the same old, same old, same old. I, it, this focus has got to be inspiring. I want to inspire my audience. And there's all sorts of things that you need to do 
to to move a communication out of a presentation into something that is inspiring. So I very much liked what JB's just mentioned in the it takes a long time to get over a bad communication. Um, And I think for many of you listening today, that could be what's playing on your mind. I've done it once and now that's it. I'm never again am I doing it. And that it's it's a bit like they say learning to ride a bike. The worst thing you can do after falling off for it for the first time is to never get back on it again. You get back on, you keep riding until you can balance and you keep falling off and eventually it gets there. And the only person that really is going to remember that bad presentation is you because it won't be memorable for the audience, but they certainly aren't going to think for 15, 20 years time, oh my goodness, do you remember that awful? I mean, if it was totally car crash, then if you get really good at it, go back to that audience and say, do you remember that car crash presentation? Well, have a look now and I can imagine you'd inspire them. Anyway, I, I want to encapsulate that into the audiences in your head. Um, and this is something that JB talks about a lot when we go and see audiences face to face is that the most debilitating thing actually is not the audience in front of you, but it's the audience in your mind. It's the audience telling you, do not do this. Do not walk on that stage. You are going to be stupid. You're going to mess it up like you did last time and you're rubbish. Never do it. Um, your mum used to tell you you're no good at that. All those sorts of things. But, and then the irony is, is that the audience also have an audience in their head. And I very much like what JB's mentioned. And I see too often these be people that are call themselves keynote speakers who wind me up on their LinkedIn profile, calling them inspiring speaker. Brilliant. Who told you that? It's like calling yourself an entrepreneur. Don't. Um, <laughs> they're not things you can self-title. <laughs> Um, anyway, but what you see a lot of these infinite effing wisdom people doing is pontificating about their own stories, hoping that it's going to inspire the audience without remembering that everyone in the audience has their own audience in their head and they will make a judgment call on you pretty quickly. But more importantly, you are ultimately planting seeds in their head, which will grow and they will judge what you say. But I don't want that to sound daunting. Actually, you've got to remember that these people um, want to sit there. They want to listen to you. And actually, you have a genuine opportunity. But critically, you've got to reflect about what the audience want to do as a result of your communication. Do you want them to leave feeling fearful? Do you want them to leave feeling inspired? Do you want them to feel increasingly competent? What is it that you want them to take away? So start with the end first. And actually, arguably, the best thing you can do when that audience in your head is saying to you, don't do this, is absolutely focus on the end, end in mind and work back from there. And I think there is an age old, um, you know, uh, theory, which I stand by, which is people tend to remember the first minute and the last minute of most of your communications. So the bits you really want to nail by which time the anxiety should have subsided a bit, is the opening. Get your opening bit, bit, your opening minute spot on. Because once you're a minute in, you've got that first little giggle or laughter, which I'm sure we'll talk about humour later on in our in our session today. Um, you know, whatever it is, whatever you stand for, get that out there. But maybe even at the beginning of your communication, make it clear by the end of this session, I want you to be thinking about this. And then you have in their mind what they're expecting the end result to be. But too often, I have seen people that 
kill themselves on their feet because of that audience in their head for two reasons. One, they've over-prepared that middle section. And actually, because the middle section is so scripted, they drop their script, that's it, the whole thing's ruined, which I think is a dangerous thing to do. But they also don't necessarily think about that audience. What do they want the audience to do as a result of this session? And in JB's words, you just mentioned, think, feel, do. What do you want them to think? How do you want them to feel? What do you want them to do as a result of your presentation? And if you can get the end result in mind, the rest in theory should be easy. That middle bit does not need to be as structured as you think it is. And I've seen too many people that do death by PowerPoint or perhaps just death by long monologues. But I'm sure we've got some other things up our sleeves which we'll talk about. So for me to summarise, audience in your head. Think about that audience. Be conscious about the audience, but work out how to control that audience. But equally, think about the minds of your audience as well. What do you want them to have planted in their head as a result of listening to you? And how do you cut through the noise? Because we all listen. And let's be honest, we all walk into most sessions thinking, right, here we go. What am I going to get out of this? If you can capture their minds in the first 30 seconds with a strong opening, the rest you can wing it. And that probably sounds a bit bizarre. But certainly from experience that, that I've had is if you overcomplicate the middle, it ruins your end because you've lost your mojo. But if you can get a strong opening and end, the rest actually, as long as you've got the end in mind, will always come to fruition. Lovely, lovely, lovely. So um, good summary, by the way. So I think that it's useful to think about this presentation, communication, whatever you want to call it, in two parts. One is delivery and, and the other is content. And these two, when they marry up really well, you, you can create something pretty inspiring. But the work needs to be done on both parts. So you've got to be clear about your content. And uh, you, you will know uh, that uh, a lot of politicians use examples of three things. Uh, they talk about the delivery of, of three things, uh, three things in mind. There's three things I want to talk to you about today. Uh, but if you, can, if you can focus, narrow your focus onto three pieces of content to support uh, that feeling, that piece of thinking, further thinking uh, that you want your audience to do, then back that up with your three points, what those three areas are if you're doing four that's okay if you're doing two that's okay but as a as a as a kind of average point three is a very very good place to start so you know map out uh, the three things that you actually want to use to communicate this bigger idea uh, the idea that they're going to leave the room with the thing that will make them think more feel more or do things differently uh, the three things that you have in your content are there to support that emotion, to 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 do something, to act. So uh, be clear about what those three things are. Really, really work it. I I use a, a spidergram technique. I don't know what other people like to do. Some people like to do linear lists of things that they want to think about. I like a spidergram. I I will just create three prongs. Um, and I will have, this is the thought I want them to take away uh, at the end of it. And then I backfill uh, the spidergram with all of that information. 
Uh, and I, I use other people. I get information. I, you know, there might be a little bit of humor in there. Uh, there might be stories, metaphors, and all sorts of things that actually support uh, each of those three areas. So, so I'm, I'm introducing the concept now of the power of three. Um, and three is a very, very useful device uh, to to get people to concentrate uh, their minds on on those three things. And uh, you you've got a, a particular m- method uh, of of working with those three things. Yeah. So um, I uh, JB mentioned he did a, his ironically his bad presentation was using a triangle. <laughs> Yeah, I know. <laughs> um, and actually, I, I I like the use of a triangle because if you are, I mean, look, some of you on, on, on this podcast will be listening thinking you're preparing for a town hall. What can I take from this? Whether you use PowerPoint or not, people expect PowerPoint, which therefore you could say is the easy way to build your communication. Or actually, do you want to stand out to be different? So actually, with the idea of a triangle, too often you and I as listeners and me and JB see in in presentations, you almost put on your PowerPoint slide the script you're going to read. That is a no-no for us. Certainly what I believe in is, is a triangle is either a useful tool for you to have on a piece of paper in front of you to aid your communication Um, Because it talks about three things. You've got three sides to it and you have a triangle with three arrows pointing out each side of the triangle. One side of the triangle is now, one is the future and one is the past or something like that. And then you have three topics. So I'm going to talk to you about three things. I'm going to talk to you about now, I'm going to talk to you about the future and I'm going to talk to you about the past. Let's talk about the now. And then you have three sub points with arrows coming off your triangle. Let me talk to you about the future. Have three arrows coming off. You talk about those three subjects. Let me talk to you about the past. And then you go into those three subtopics. But actually, too often, people then overpopulate their slides to the point that actually, what's the point? You could have just given them the slide and got them to read it themselves. You are the person that's going to bring that triangle or that spider diagram to life in what you say and how you say it. So for me, the triangle is really important. But actually, rather than doing it on PowerPoint, why don't you be clever and be a bit mischievous and do it, do rock and roll, do it on a flip chart and draw it out. And by the way, if you're worried about remembering that triangle, there's something that I do quite a lot when I do presentations. If I am using a flip chart because I know people are fed up with PowerPoint is if I'm worried about forgetting it, why don't you do it in light pencil first? Because actually the front, the, the, even the front people in your room do not see the pencil drawings. Then effectively you're doing a dot to dot. The other advantage of drawing rather than PowerPoint is if, like me, you start speaking really quickly when you're getting nervous, you can get it over and done with really quickly. The pencil drawing and the drawing of a piece of paper on a flip chart forces you to pause during your communication to allow those messages to land in people's minds. If you're planting a seed, don't be moving on to the next seed until you've you've stuck it deep in the ground and it's had a chance to kind of breathe a bit, then move on to the next seed. And sometimes if anxiety is playing on our minds, we will start to speak more quickly. And therefore, for me, with the triangle message, not only does it give you a useful structure to follow, so a power of three, one, two, three, subject one, one, two, three, subject two, one, two, three, subject three, one, two, three. As you are animating that in front of your audience, not only are you doing something different to your PowerPoint friends, but also you are giving yourself forced pauses. Now, for those of you listening to this saying, well, hold on a minute, Wendell, how do I give them a copy of my slides? Well, do you know what? 
I believe most of your audience will have a smartphone and encourage them to take a picture of the diagram you've just drawn on a piece of paper. It is as simple as that. And actually, they will love you more for being able to consolidate all your information onto one slide, one triangle message, as opposed to having endless pages of paragraphs of text. I think that's such a, an important point, really, because you see people delivering enormous amounts of information on PowerPoint on stage. And it's really dull. It's so dull. Bullet after bullet after bullet. It is death by PowerPoint. And the the problem with all of that is that you lose your audience so damn quickly. And the best thing to do is that if you've got loads and loads of information, put that in a document and give it to your audience at, at the end of your presentation and just tell them that it's available at the back of the room when they leave. Uh, I wouldn't necessarily give it to them during the presentation because guess what? That's what they're going to look at. Uh, what you want them to do is to be drawn towards uh, your slide, if you have a slide. Uh, flip charts are available, and actually flip charts are fantastic and underused, underutilized. Mm -hmm. So drawing up a triangle on a flip chart, having your three parts of your triangle, we've seen people do it uh, with quite dry information, but they brought it to life in a really <clears throat> simple way uh, on a flip chart in front of uh, quite a few people. TED so, Talk people use them as well, I've noticed recently. Yeah, yeah. I've lost my visual of you, Ant, just in case you do any signs towards me. Oh. Um, <laughs> so uh, we, we're talking about uh, inspiring communications. Uh, we're talking about getting your audience uh, to leave the room uh, thinking, feeling, and doing things differently as a result of your communication. Uh, we're talking about uh, the, the content necessary to keep it simple, to keep it tight, uh, and to enable you to have the confidence uh, of your content. So simplify it. Keep it simple. Three points, no more, if you can. It's so much easier for the audience to digest anything more than three key points, and they start going off. Uh, so just think about that triangle messaging the power of three, um, and the outcome that you're looking for. So one of the challenges you may have when you're doing these town halls is maintaining people's attention and concentration on you. Um, and that can come from a number of reasons. And I also am very aware <clears throat> that for some of you, um, Q&A is something that fear, makes you full of fear because you're going to get that question that you haven't prepared for. I just want to put a couple of think, thinking ideas out there for you to consider as part of your communication. And the first one is when you are communicating, include rhetorical questions in your speech. Because for some people in the audience listening to your voice, if they are quite imaginative, it might be difficult for them to retain attention because all they're being asked to do is to absorb everything you say and look at this slide, look at this triangle, listen to what I'm saying and take it on board. By asking people rhetorical questions, you're asking them to cognitively connect with your communication. You're asking them to process a transaction in their head, which will produce their own unique thinking, which actually, believe it or not, maintains their concentration better. So if I was to say to you, you know, I want you to think about a time when a customer really, really upset you with how they spoke to you. Tough, huh? And then you move into the next section of your speech. And then actually, guys, when can you last? When were you last inspired? 
all those questions and me asking that to you now, you may actually now be going off on a on a tangent, ironically, to think about that. But if you do those sorts of rhetorical questions with a quality pause in there, it really helps refocus your audience's thinking. If you've got a 25 minute, 30 minute monologue, please seed in loads and loads of rhetorical questions to get your audience to process the thinking as well as just absorbing because you will not maintain concentration. To my experience, anything more than three and a half minutes without some rhetorical question, you're going to struggle. Seven minutes, definitely. So three to seven minutes, you need a rhetorical question or a reflection moment with a deliberate conscious pause because those pauses also help you. In addition, Q&A. Now, this is my this is my take on this, um, but you may agree or disagree. I know JB and me, I think, are mostly aligned on these things. Too many people put Q&A right at the end of their communication. And for me, that is the biggest mistake you can make, because as I said to you a bit earlier on in this recording, people tend to remember the begin, remember the beginning and the end of your speech, not the middle bit so much. Um, of course, they're going to remember your hilarity and your creativity, but largely the beginning and end is going to be the bits that stick seven, 14 days later. So the last thing you want them to remember is a really shitty question from your audience. What's going on with pay rises this year then, Mark? Oh, okay. Um, yeah. Um, <laughs> all that wonderful vision you've just communicated to your audience has been lost because you didn't handle that question. And the first thing they say as they leave their room for their coffee break was, oh, he didn't handle that very well, did he? So in my experience, I have always in communications, especially with clients, especially with clients, I do my Q&A penultimate. So if I have a half an hour session, I will have Q&A at 20 to 25 minutes because then I have my five minute set piece finale to whippy whoppy woo wah them into a frenzy. And any difficult questions, whether they're good or bad, you have a chance to recapture it and regain your respect if you've lost any. Because the truth is you can't necessarily regulate your questions. You can plant them. That lacks authenticity to me. Now, what I would suggest you do is with those questions is um, really um, think about uh, limiting the number of questions. I've got five minutes for questions, ladies and gentlemen. So I'll take three. And if I've got time for a fourth, I'll take it. Number one, if you do say you've got time for three, make sure your answers are succinct enough to contain those three questions within the time frame allotted. But also by limiting the questions to your time will stop those pointless questions that you know someone wants to ask just to have a voice in the room. It should stop them really wasting that question that could be of value for someone else to do. But Q&A, never at the end, if you can see me, JB. I, I can't see you, but I'm, I'm tuned in uh, to what you're saying. So I can see and you, it's beautiful. Uh, I, <laughs> I'm going I'm to build on that idea uh, of using questions, rhetorical questions. Why is a fantastic rhetorical question. Absolutely brilliant. And... I, there's another thing that I really like, and, and when people use it, I think it, it kind of it forces them to uh, get into the mind of their audience, and 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 it's it's called imagine if, and you know you have to kind of imagine stuff yourself to be able to say imagine if, and once you once you cue that up, people are people are as long as the the imagine if is is reasonably strong. Um, you can actually really take your audience with you. So get you can set a scene 
Uh, you can get people to the moon. You can do all sorts of things. Um, and I, I think I, I, want, I want to put, add to that the idea of metaphors, uh, bringing in a metaphor. Mm. So uh, I quite like the uh, man on the moon one day. <clears throat> I love the I love the man on the moon. So uh, I mean, it's obviously uh, really, really um, important uh, to kind of frame it really well and to make it make it simple. Uh, not too complicated. So if if you reduce what JFK said in 1961, he said uh, that he would put a man on the moon within a decade. Uh, he was going to build a rocket to, to get him there and he was going to get him back alive. So there's a, there's a little bit of a play on that. But actually, once you've got that metaphor going, and whenever I've used something like that, I know people reach for their paper and their pen. And they start thinking, oh, right, there's something clear about that. We'll get a man on the moon within a decade. We're going to build a rocket to get him there. And we're going to get him back alive. Uh, what, what you've got there uh, is, is a combination of vision, um, purpose, values, and all sorts of things that you can integrate into your communication just by putting in uh, a strong metaphor like that one. Uh, you, can, you can use, you know, getting your boat uh, into the fastest flowing part of the river, uh, for example, instead of getting stuck in an eddy. Uh, so metaphors can be really, really brilliant in connecting people up with what you're actually saying. Uh, so big rhetorical questions, uh, getting people to imagine a future, a future of possibilities. Uh, sometimes in organizations where people have lost the idea of hope, um, put some hope back in, you know, talk about the possibility of possibilities, you know, get being, being optimistic uh, about a, a different future. Uh, you know, what we are experiencing now and describe those experiences and to say, do you know what? Imagine if, imagine if it could be like this. It, it, it Emphasize the difference between the current experience of say a customer or a shareholder or an employee uh, or any stakeholder in the business, just explain the current experience and then just say, imagine if, imagine if it could be this. We, we could get to the moon within a decade, but we need to build a rocket to get us there. And in order to, to, to build that rocket, we've got to come together um, to, to make that happen. But we've also got to be clear of our values. We are going to get back alive we are going to get back alive. And so just by building on those themes, you can really start really pushing this a little bit further. Mm. So we've talked about, you know, getting getting your content together, forming your content into something that is away from a normal presentation into something that is put together to be a little bit more inspiring. Just by doing the work on that, really getting the work together, I think it's probably a good moment and to start talking about the delivery part of it <laughs> you and me are so in tune bearing in mind the camera's off um because i've been uh, in my in my side making some notes and also pulling faces occasionally in case the camera come back on um, <laughs> i don't know why i've lost you but um it's great that is it a blank despite... screen or have you just minimized the screen have you got emails up or something well i've got a i've got a just a blurred static uh version oh. of you to look at which oh. is okay i can i can live with that i want to turn camera anyway so i i agree so 
um, the the what the first thing I would like to bring to the table, if I may, JB, is volume. Ah, and yeah. here's the thing. I think the most common thing me and JB see when we're giving people um, support on this area, when we ask them to road test their um, their thinking in front of an audience to try it out in a safe space, the most common piece of feedback is using volume. And that doesn't mean shouting, but it does mean being heard and using your volume with intent. Uh, too often, people seem to ignore the back of the room. Um, the front of the room, get a lovely speech. And if you've got a big room of people, more than 20 people, I wouldn't be surprised if there's an air conditioning unit running somewhere in that room to maintain your temperature. And I can promise you with someone like me that has rubbish hearing, if you do not have projection in your voice, that air conditioning unit will drown out anything you've said beyond row two. So volume for me is critical. But I know JB likes to use volume quietly as well as well. Loud. Volume's great, and if it's like having a, a load of dials in front of you and thinking, right, well, this is this is the volume control, and a lot of people don't play play with that control enough. They don't practice it. They don't they don't kind of get used to speaking quietly and drawing an audience in. You know, when when you when you've got the second point done and you're now going into your third point, it's like gathering your audience around you and just saying, hey. I've got something that I really want to share with you on at this point in the in the presentation that you know it's a bit personal and I want to share it with you. So you might just go a little bit quieter at that point and and just take your audience with you. Just almost sometimes the style is is a little bit conspiratorial and you're just gathering your audience around no one else needs to know about this and it's a style it's approach and this is what you can do with your volume. And then you know Without sort of scaring your audience, uh, you know, when you get to a specific point uh, that that might be an emotional point for you and them, this will never happen here, ever. You know, you can really pump up the volume, and you use all the all the all the grades between really really quiet and and actually pretty loud, and this is going to keep your audience really really glued into what you're saying. So volume is is one of the very very important knobs on your on your control panel. Um, there's also uh, your pitch, and uh, a lot of people don't practice this enough. So um, I guess with our radio background, we 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 know uh, that it's really good to use your your pitch range. It absolutely so, is, JB. <laughs> so you know sometimes you know you are going down. Uh, lower and lower and other times you're going higher and higher and it's okay it's absolutely okay and your audience is going to go with you what happens uh, a lot i think ants mentioned it earlier uh, is that people rush through uh, their presentation to get it over and done with ah! and uh, they they kind of run out of oxygen and they start going into kind of helium delivery mode um, and their their pitch goes higher and higher and higher. And so we we suggest to people uh, just to get used to the idea of it, uh, uh, go as low as you can in your presentation. And you know what? It's really interesting seeing people do this, and it kind of slows them down. 
all sorts of unintended elements happen when you start playing around with these dials. So I I would recommend to you um, play around with the dials, play around with your volume, um, not necessarily in your presentation. This is where practice is so important. Uh, so play around with volume and see what happens when you play around with it. See where it goes and then draw in your audience and then start thinking about your pitch. You know, you've got these three points that you're trying to get across and you can you can actually um, start with a lower voice and you could get a little bit higher when you want to make something really, really important. Um, come this across doesn't to get us a, B- a BBC gig. Who? What will they be? <laughs> <laughs> um, th- I, what I, I actually wanted to mention, and I think this is critical, critical. And uh, my my daughter is a is an opera singer, which I think I've mentioned before, and she talks to me about breathing all the time. Um, because it's essential for holding notes together um, and uh, being able to use your 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 range and your volume. Because if you don't have the right level of oxygen in your lungs, you're screwed. So I start getting people concentrating on their breathing before they've even done the presentation. Really conscious of really big intakes of breath. Uh, and actually... I suggest to people when they walk into uh, the room or they get up on stage, really work that breathing. And before you speak, take a really good breath in and really take in your audience in that inward breath. And when you say your first few words, make sure that they are on the outward breath. Hello, good morning. Really get it out. And my recommendation to you there also is to really, really know what that first sentence or two is. So it just comes out, it flows really nicely. Linked to the breathing is the pausing. So if you get your breathing right, you can get your pausing right in between each of the sentences. Your your presentation, your communication is merely a number of pieces of content broken up by pauses. If you can if you can get the pauses right in between each of those sentences, you will you will have your audience. You will take your audience with you because they they assimilate the information in those pauses. And dare I say it, they will start breathing with you. Uh, when you pause, they will pause too. They it, I've seen it happen. It's quite remarkable. But you have to practice your breathing and your pausing to get that right. So don't be afraid to insert pauses like commas and full stops into your communication. It can create enormous amounts of gravity, gravitas, gravity, gravitas um, for your communication. There is um, a politician in the UK who um, famously a couple of years ago, it's probably a bit longer than that now, who wrote pause or his speech writer wrote pause when he was supposed to pause and he kept oh, reading yes. out the word pause because he wasn't really showed you it wasn't really authentic his speech but he said you know i'm here to talk to you today pause about the economics pause oh, <laughs> oh. and it's uh, uh um uh, it's 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 quite amusing to, to see the speech because he drops it in at least four times the word pause because it was written 
as an instruction to him. I can only presume it wasn't in a different color or highlighted or worst. Yeah. I, I, I don't think um, I've seen it recently, but I don't think he put any tonal tonality on it. It would have been amusing if he'd gone pause as if it was kind of supposed to be emphasized. So anyway, oh, oh, um, <clears throat> pauses are good, but also that is useful. Importantly, if you are habitually a fast talker, um, I'm very conscious when we travel internationally that I am, due to my enthusiasm, often guilty of my pace outrunning everyone else's thinking because I'm already on to topic four when they're still digesting topic two. So please be conscious of the pauses, especially if you're a fast speaker. But better still, be really conscious of your speed of speech. Um, when I know that I'm being particularly bad, I start to put little markers around the room to remind me because one of the next tips is eye contact. Do not look down, make eye contact. Look into everybody's souls in the room. If you've not eyeballed at least everyone twice in your 15 minute speech, even if there's 150 people in the room, you have failed. But I have found by doing that, it slows my speed of speech down too. And actually, guess what? If you're feeling uncomfortable, using long eye contact can actually make your, your audience feel uncomfortable too. So if you want them to feel equally as awkward as you do, then just stare at them. It's a, um, but, but in addition, when I'm scanning the room, I tend to put some big markers up on the wall behind my audience. As a way, as I'm scanning the room in my periphery vision, I'm seeing these bright yellow stickers that I've put on the wall, which isn't isn't going to be written on it. Slow down, you idiot. It's actually just a way for me to be reminded. Oh, yes, those stickers are there to remind me to keep my speed of speech down because you might be conscious of it for the first minute. <clears throat> but by minute four or five, you could well have lost that that reminder in your head because you're too busy in the content now. So speed of speech is also very useful. If you look at the word count of some of these famous speakers around the world, Obama, you look at his word count on their speech for his time on camera versus Trump. It is radically different. I believe it's just three times more for Trump on an average 10 minute speech than it is for Obama. Obama was very clever at less is more. And that is a true point. <clears throat> Excuse me, I'm losing my voice when I take a sip of my drink, Mr. Bradley. Well, so um, I just want to go back to the pitch point, actually, about getting your pitch right. And there is something that has crept into a lot of uh, communicating one-to-one uh, -one and, and in group, and that is uh, the upward inflection. Hmm. Uh, people like to do a little upward inflection all the time. Now, if you do that to an audience and it, your communication is laced with upward inflection uh, the problem with it is that it sounds that it sounds like you don't have complete confidence in what you're saying it's got a little question mark with it like i'm not sure you know if you if winston churchill said we will fight them on the beaches instead of we will fight them on the beaches it's got a very different feel to it. So just a little tip. Watch out for the upward inflection. If at the end of a sentence, you can drop the tone down. It also aids that pausing and takes your audience into, into understanding and working with the pause. So you bring it down at the end of a sentence and then you have your pause. Uh, so these are methods and techniques uh, to help your audience to stay with you uh, because it's often an awful lot of 
uh, work to get an audience to stay with you uh, for, for three points. Uh, a lot of it comes down to your your presence uh, on 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 the on the in the communication on the stage or whatever it is, uh, and you know that's about you. It's about how you walk up to to that mic, about how confident you actually feel. So uh, my advice there, and this is a bit of a weird one, uh, is not to tiptoe onto the stage. Uh, you know, on on your on your tippy toes, be conscious uh, of your heels, heels down, and and feel very very firm uh, about your heels on the ground and 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 bolt upright um, and standing confidently in front of your audience. Be 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 conscious of your heels firmly on the ground. It'll make you f- look. Uh, like you're not going anywhere. You're not about to run. You're not scared. Your heels are firmly in the ground. If you feel, if you become aware of being on your toes, there's something ancient going on in your brain, which is telling you to be alert to run or to fight. So, so being anchored to the ground on your heels uh, is a, is a really important uh, way of of, of getting. A presence in in the room. Um, if if you wanted to increase your power, not your power over your audience, power power with your audience. Your audience needs you to be uh, a credible source of information, and it's important that you are able to deliver and present someone with power. Uh, and so one of the techniques that we've already talked about to deliver that is your volume and being able to insert pauses uh, effectively so that you break up what you're saying. You just want to come across as confident with your with your material, with your content. Um, warmth of all of those things, I think, is probably critically the most critically important point. And Ant's already talked about, you know, scanning the audience, connecting up with the audience, um, and using, I, I call it recruiting recruiting your, your body into your presentation, and make sure you use your eyes uh, and and deliver, deliver warmth. Um, make sure you use your mouth and smile. Uh, it's difficult sometimes when people are nervous, and and they forget to smile. In fact, sometimes people forget to breathe, and that's that's when it all goes horribly wrong. And that's what happened to me. Uh, I forgot to breathe uh, because I was nervous, and I f- I forgot my content, and I I couldn't quite pull it together. In the end, I got it together, um, and I I continued and and delivered the presentation. But it, the whole thing scared me shitless, frankly. Um, and but it, what it did do is made me certain I would never ever let that happen again, which is why I'm so keen to share this kind of stuff uh, with others. This is my take on it, and this is from reading and uh, watching, observing others, and and doing my own learning on it. Yeah. 
Yeah. I'm conscious, Mr. Bradley. Once again, we are nearly at our hour mark and we do have a couple of questions this week. But in course, in all good town halls and all good speeches, we wrap up with a nice, solid summary. So I guess if I was to encapsulate the points that I've made in the last um, 45 minutes or so on this beautiful topic of communication, it's number one, think of linking to JB's point of the power of three, love a triangle, use a triangle as a way to structure your communication, either as a way to support your structure to give you sense of control rather than a script or actually giving a visual aid to your audience. Also, think about your audience, what you want them to take away from that session. So start with a goal at the beginning and remind them of that goal at the end so that you've delivered in what you promised them. Think of the audience and your planting of seeds in their mind. Use your volume effectively to really demonstrate your competence in communicating to all. Use pauses. There are a whole host of other ones, but they're my big ones in terms of my summary, JB. And never never forget uh, the the think, the feel, the do um, at the beginning of your of your work, putting it together. Um, for me, the starting point is the outcome. The outcome is what you want your audience to think, feel, or do. And I, I want to leave with one final little point, which I which I really like actually. And I, I uh, my wife asked me uh, the other day when I had quite a big gig in New York actually, and I was nervous, um, but in a good way. You know, it it creates um, uh, a kind of good uh, vibe to just be a little bit nervy about things. And she asked me how I felt, and I and I used a line that I remember reading somewhere, and I loved it so much. And it was um, that I've got butterflies, um, but but they're all they're all flying in the same direction. And you know, it, it's it, it it is good to feel a level of nervousness. It is good, but I think remember to breathe. Really, really, you know, if you're feeling that, if you're getting those butterflies. And they're all flying around in different directions and crashing into each other. The thing to do is to is just to start breathing. Start breathing, really good, uh, lovely breathing, and that I think helps uh, to get those butterflies to fly and fly together, fly in alignment in one direction. What a nice uh, anecdote or metaphor, if you will, to yes, end, there you um, go. Our our communication. Um, I guess, uh, shortened masterclass. And don't forget, me and JB are available on a very expensive <laughs> daily rate where we can give you more of the tips and get you doing it. Um, uh, and you can find our details in all good bookshops. Uh, so on to, <laughs> on to this week's uh, questions. We have two this week. We have Davida. I think I've pronounced that correctly. It's got da David with an E on the end. So I presume it's Davida. Would you agree, JB? Anyway, Davida, please tell me if I'm wrong, because I know others of you have messaged in. Sounds good. Said Sounds right. Uh, from Argentina. In the absence of financial reward being market beating, how do you build quality recognition for your people? Ah. Uh. I like that question. So effectively, non-monetary reward. Um, it is. And do you want me to go with this first, JB, or do you want to? Yeah, you you see where you go with it. I'm just taking that in. Yeah, and having a think. I apologise. I didn't send this one to you in advance. Um, so um, my side, actually, it's the non-monetary things that often have the biggest repayment in loyalty from employee to line manager. 
Um, last week, as an example, I was in Budapest hosting a conference, which was um, a non-monetary, really, recognition event of our high-performing people. So we only had a limited number of, of spaces, um, 30 for Europe, for example, and we've got best part of 2,000 staff, staff across Europe. And we gave um, a handful of places to each country to nominate. So... It was difficult for them to nominate, and it's important to flag in case anyone's listening to this podcast that happens to um, know about this event because they perhaps work in the same organization in which I do. They are doing more of them later in the year. So if you've not been nominated, that doesn't mean you're important. But my point being, non-monetary recognition such as that, one of them said to me, this means more than any bonus I've ever had because they felt valued. So arguably, the non-monetary recognition is more important to me than monetary recognition because people join you for the basic salary and they work towards bonus. And if the bonus is missing, then it's your job to make them feel valued within the role that they do. And you can do a ton of things. I've worked in organizations where there never was a bonus in the first place, yet they had fierce loyalty towards the brand and the manager. And little things like taking your team out for a coffee, little things like letting them leave an hour early on a Friday occasionally, or letting flexibility working from home, all those sorts of things are non-monetary physical investment requirements, but actually they have massive dividends for you as a line manager. And more importantly, frequent quality feedback. Uh, I've mentioned in previous podcasts of my my ROR, calendar reminder every Friday morning, rule of recognition. Every Friday pops up in my calendar. I must recognize somebody via email. And for me, I would say three times out of six, I get a reply from the line manager who I copied into the communication congratulating Lauren, for example, on something, which is the person I sent a note to last week, saying thank you so much for sending her that email. She really, really appreciated it and it meant a lot. It makes it do what she does worthwhile. So arguably, yes, do you know what? Financial reward is always important. And of course, it's not going to keep your people around forever. But I promise you what creates you as a brand of a manager are those ones that are very clever at the non-monetary recognition, just doing the little things that can make a big difference. JB, what's your thoughts? I that, That's superb because actually what it, it allows me to go off piece slightly and, oh. uh, well, I know, uh, stretching metaphors a go-go, but um, I want to talk about um, pillars of psychological safety. This is deep. My camera's off. You didn't even see my face. <laughs> Probably just as well. <laughs> so <there>. people, <laughs> um, people need uh, to 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 feel psych psychologically safe in a team environment. They need to know that it's not just the boss that creates that. It's the whole team um, that they get it from, um, and they they want to know that the rest of the team and the boss believe that they have the appropriate knowledge and skills. Um, so that's number one, and that's called capable. They are believed to be capable. Um, the other part is that they believe that everyone and the boss are on their side. That's important, and that's called caring. And uh, they believe that the rest of the team and the boss and themselves are respected for their candor. So there's a great deal of honesty and integrity uh, within the team, and they are respected. Uh, they are respected that they have that too. 
So uh, there is an environment where they can be honest and they are perceived to be honest as well. That helps to, to keep them um, in an environment where things can be open um, and transparent. And the other thing is um, that their, their commitment is consistent um, and predictable and reliable. So uh, if, you, if you marry up those four things, you create an environment uh, where this person uh, feels that they are capable. It's a caring environment. Uh, in other words, uh, everyone's on their side. Mostly, you know, they get that from the boss. You're on my side. Uh, the honesty exists, the candor, um, and that this place is consistent. There's no, there's no kind of weird shit every day that I have to deal with. Loads of politics that sort of blows me off course. These things, capable, caring, candor, and consistent, are going to keep people motivated and part of a great team. So I know I bang on about it, but a, but a high trust team is a high performance team. Uh, you know, when people are learning and performing and developing uh, themselves, uh, and they're, they're in an environment where that's that's uh, possible, they're more likely to stay. Money money is great, but it's it's nowhere near as big as those things I've just described. Nice, nice. How about that? Lovely. Um, final question. This one's an easy one. This is for from Kimberley in the UK, Luton. Um, me, oh. me and JB have run a workshop there once. Um, all we can say, Kimberly, is good luck. Um, <gasps> sure, I'm sure we're here if we offend her. Um, social media will go wild. I say we offend her, I offend her. Um, now, this is what, I'll be honest, uh, I chose the theme for this episode, but it was partly inspired by this question. Oh. What's your favourite song before going to do a town hall or presentation and why? <gasps> oh. This is going to cause some division between you and I, isn't it? Unusually. Ooh. 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 <laughs> you go first, Ant. I've got so many songs in my head. Me too. Um, so I guess, again, I try and choose a track in keeping with what I want the audience to feel. And therefore... Um, if it's relaxed, I might just play a slightly more ambient music. If I'm looking to do something that's going to inspire them, I probably will go for something, I guess, housey, trancey, which always winds JB up. Um, mm. And um, otherwise, I know something that me and JB have in common is we go for some weird sort of wacky stuff, TV themes and 60s and 70s kind of swing um, which kind of just is people go, oh, I recognize that song, but it's kind of a bit, it's a bit non-offensive. But if I was to choose my favorite song that I might play in my headphones in advance of going on stage to get me pumped up and ready would be Massive Attack, Unfinished Sympathy. Sympathy? Or Symp symphony? symphony, sorry, Symphony, sorry. Ah, it's the caffeine. Okay. Yeah, um, it's... Um... I, this is going to say this will surprise you, Ant. Ooh. I think, and yeah. Um, so, do, do, have you seen the film Gladiator? Yes. And by the way, it is. It, hang on a minute. It is unfinished sympathy. It's not called unfinished symphony. Okay. It is, it is unfinished sympath sympathy. That's quite clever, isn't it? Yeah. Um, I, I, I double check. Carry on. 
at the beginning of Gladiator, there's a battle scene, and uh, Marcus Aurelius, or whatever his name is, um, has to summon up all his troops and everything to go and take on these these mad people. And um, the music is extraordinary. It is it is brilliant. Um, and uh, it, it, I used to play it to my son before he played rugby, and he loved it. Um, so that that comes out. If I've got to get stuff done in the morning, I have that playing in the background, the, the, the gladiator um, music. It's brilliant, absolutely brilliant. Um, also, um, Karlov, uh, Carmina Barana, that's bloody brilliant. Um, for those of you who are old enough, uh, it's the old spice music with the guy on the on the uh, on the wave. Probably won't mean anything to any of you because I'm so old. <laughs> uh, but that's pretty that's pretty powerful stuff. Um, and there was a there was a um, uh, what was that? Oh God, ain't no mountain high enough. Um, yeah, um, so the Marvin Gaye version is is rather rather brilliant. Uh, Gustav Holtz, the planets. Um, many of those um, songs from that songs um, music from that are just brilliant. So Gustav Holtz, um, I, I could go on. I'd stop there. Nice, nice. Love that question. Love that question. That got me really thinking. Yeah, some unusual curveball-y questions. Anyway, um, so as ever, my ladies and gentlemen, friends, um, please do continue sending in the questions. You can send it to globalleadershippodcast at gmail.com or you can message it to us through various social media outlets where you may find myself and JB. Lead Learn Pod is on Twitter. Um, we don't have anything on Facebook, but I know JB keeps saying we should do it is also the last opportunity for you to respond to our survey um i'm due to close it tomorrow it is at 320 responses when i checked yesterday um we would like a few more before we analyze it and me and jb will then start to talk about it probably towards the end of february because i think there's some fascinating insight coming out from that survey already in terms of style of leadership and um, also retention and is there a connection between the two so fascinated about that one final reminder please also leave us a review leave us a five-star rating if you like us if you think we're rubbish stop listening don't give us a one-star rating unless you're a rival podcaster <gasps> um but we, we, Have we had any of those i don't think so no 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 oh. but I'm, I'm, I'm assuming if they were a rival podcast they wouldn't listen to us in its entirety they'll just give us a one star rating um but we've not had any one stars yet anyway um and I, we wouldn't be so bitter actually i listen to other podcasts and love all the other podcasts um so there we go anyway so please do leave us a review because it helps our exposure to new listeners we are um, getting great listening downloads even complaints when we don't post um uh, an episode on the sundays when we tend to do um but uh, we will be getting better at it it's just as you can imagine with jb in one place and me in another it's not always the most straightforward that said um, we are going to be doing some trips together shortly, so we'll take our microphones and record Yay! on the move. I think Bogota, so I'll be breathless for that one, and I'll probably tell the story when I'm there, what happened to me last time, if I make it back there alive. And then also I think we're together in the Channel Islands in a few weeks' time. Uh, what's your movements? And I'm not on about your bowel for the next week, JB. Ooh. Um, I'm off to Hampshire uh, mm. to see one of my many children, and um, she's just moved into a new house Where? with a new dog. Um, I, uh, well, 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 you know, well, I live well, in Hampshire, well. don't you? You've been to my house in Hampshire. 
Yeah, she's in the in the um, near. Oh God, uh, Andover. Uh, that sort of neck of the woods. Oh, that kind of Stockbridge. That... Oh, okay. Stockbridge. That's where there. she is. Nice. Yeah, yeah. She's moved to to a little cottage in Stockbridge. She's got a little doggy, oh. um, and she's got a little boyfriend, and <laughs> and he's um, he's one of those. I hope that's people... not a metaphor, by the way. <laughs> he's he's um he when I when he's li- he's smaller than her I think that's why I, te- I was tempted to say he's little I mean but you, he, but, he, but you are six foot twelve so yeah when she's five foot eleven and I think he's five foot nine uh, anyway he's an engineery type um guy who works on boats and stuff um so he's two months on and two months off and uh, unfortunately he's not why am I going into this level of detail anyway, anyway. um I'm seeing my daughter with her dog <laughs> with my wife and uh, that's all great fun so we're doing that at the end of the week and i'm preparing for next week where i'm going up to yorkshire to do some work up there for the week which is great so i've got i've got a bit of work on there um it's all go and it's all mm. bloody go yeah i'm off to the netherlands later today i'm back tomorrow night so it's just a fly and visit there and then hopefully getting some traction in the property, which I can say I've had no emails whilst we've been recording from our lawyers. Oh dear, but it's that, not looking that, good. Well, that, that's fine. I'm fine with that. It's probably that, that it would have been a seismic uh, email if it had been sent this morning. Uh, then I am off to Paris next week for that conference where I said I didn't want to be fat on stage. But I must flag to you, JB, that I have lost my targets to in advance of the conference, which was a stone. So £14 for those of you that um, use... Uh, no, don't use stones. But yes, I've lost 14 pounds. In fact, actually 15 or 16. Um, so that's good. I'm happy with that. Um, Paris next week. And then it is hopefully house move week after. But um, in the meantime, no doubt, I'll keep you abreast in future episodes of the Global Leadership Podcast. You're- Before you went blurry and it was obvious that you'd lost some weight. Oh. Um but I can't actually look at you now, which is a shame because I... I'm now taking my like clothes to... off. Let's hope the camera doesn't come back Please on. Please don't. Please don't. It's a, it might just come back on suddenly and that wouldn't be great. Mm-hmm. Um, so, well, I guess it's that moment where we have to say goodbye. Uh, if you've got this far, uh, thank you for giving us a damn good listening to. Uh, we've been stroking uh, the frontiers of global leadership today. Uh, Ant and me and I'd just like to say I look forward to our next podcast thanks all bye bye